Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. I'm so glad you're here and spending this time with me. Um, Today I have a great episode. I think I'm just going to get into it. Um, I have nothing to tell you about my life today. (laughs) I really don't. Uh, I wish I had something exciting and interesting to tell you. Um, But it's just been such a shit show in the world. And so um, I'll just let it speak for itself and, and we'll just get into the podcast. So today I have Kimberly Nelson returning Um, You may remember her. She is a financial advisor. Um, She is a CFA and a CDFA, which is a certified divorced financial analyst. And she is coming back on to discuss financial resources and strategies to help you maneuver through divorce and debt, specifically during COVID-19. Because this pandemic, you may have noticed, has created an uncertain financial time for a lot of people. Um, And this may be affecting or may affect in the future any support arrangements that you may have. So there's there's just there's a lot of great information uh, in this episode today. Um, Kimberly is just she's just a, a whiz with all this stuff, money and the way that she um, really breaks down so much. I learn so much from her every time we talk um, because she does she just has it all um, organized in such a way um, that it's really easy to digest and just makes a lot of sense. I learned, like I said, I learned so much. There are things that I've never understood about finances and I'm like, Oh, (laughs) that's what that means. So there's a lot of that in this episode. And so Kimberly uh, has been working with high net worth divorcees in the LA area for more than 15 years. Um, and she, the beauty of her is she really does understand the challenges that women face when navigating an overwhelming bevy of attorneys, accountants, insurers, and other advisors during the divorce process. Kimberly's team, she works at, um, at a, a company called Coastal Bridge Advisors, and her team there really pride themselves on their ability to organize all the advisory elements in a coordinated manner and ensure that the advice that their clients receive is clear, constant, and in the best interest of the family or the individual. And I, that's exactly right. I always feel when I speak with Kimberly that her advice is clear and constant and uh, really puts uh, the kids at the center um, and the, the, the holistic family uh, first. So uh, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to just shut up and stop talking and bring you my interview with Kimberly Nelson. Kimberly, thank you so much for coming back. This is, uh, I'm so happy to have you on here and talking about. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. I, I love uh, doing this with you and um, I, yeah, I enjoy it so much. Thank you. 
Yeah. So, okay. So we're talking today about sort of the, the, the trifecta, a bit of a trifecta here, right? Debt Mm -hmm. and uh, your divorce and the pandemic. (laughs) Correct. That's a lot of issues all at once. So um, a lot of empathy out there for those of you that have all three of those things weighing on your mind right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, this is a very, it's a very it's an uncertain financial time for so many people. We've got people who are furloughed. We've got people who have lost their jobs entirely. We've got, you know, just instability. We've got people losing, you know, their portfolios falling apart, <laughs> right? The, yes. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of financial instability. And also the interest rates have, have plummeted, which, you mm-hmm. know, could be good from a debt perspective, from a borrowing perspective, right? But holy cow, it's just a lot to process, I think. It is a lot. It is a lot. And I think that, you know, on the, on the list of things that can upend even the best laid plans, this coronavirus pandemic might just be at the very top. So I don't think any of us could have seen this coming out of left field the way it did um, in February, March of this year. Pretty wild. And going through a divorce during this extra tumultuous time certainly adds a layer of complexity. And, um, you know, if homeschooling kids and learning how to look decent for a Zoom call like we are right now, Kate. And, um, you know, and I, and full disclosure, we're not. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, making sure that you have enough toilet paper on hand where you head out of the house with your mask to try to find more. Um, you know, there's just, there's so much going on here and a lot of stress around all this. So I think that focusing on debt during a divorce, uh, while you're dealing with all of this, it's a very timely, timely discussion topic. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, just, it's just, it's insane. Okay. So, you know, the first thing I think that I want, that I want to touch on is, you know, a lot of people are relying on, um, spousal support or, uh, child support that is based upon, based off of a particular uh, income uh, disclosure that may or may not be, or you're either receiving it or you're paying it based off of income that you may or may not be receiving or your partner may or may not be receiving right now. Absolutely. What do people do? Like, let's say you're receiving it and it's it's not coming or your spouse is like, your ex-spouse is like, I don't have it. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a good question. So first, it's worth noting, I think first, Kate, that, you know, if you have experienced a a significant change in income and you're the payer, maybe, your first instinct might be to call your attorney and immediately seek a modification. You know, things have changed. My circumstances have changed. Um, I need you to let my ex-spouse and her attorneys know, and we need to modify this now. That case is not going to be heard for probably a period of several months at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, What I'm hearing from a lot of the uh, attorneys that I work with right now is that they're only hearing two kinds of cases right now. Um, One where there's abuse happening in the home and Mm -hmm. and they're, they're talking about those cases or if there's been a child kidnapping and the child has, is, is gone and missing. So anything else is not an emergency um, as per the court right now. So it's going to be up to you and your ex spouse, at least for the next few weeks to try to work this out, unfortunately on your own. So I'm going to give you a couple of tools here that I think could be helpful and keep in mind that everything that I'm saying here you know, your, your order that is in place by the courts right now that, that you've either agreed to, or it's been mandated that supersedes any agreement that you and your ex-spouse or soon to be ex are 
creating on the side. Okay, you're going to create something on the side that hopefully works for you, and then you're going to uh, you know seek remedies later um, on this. But for right now, you know, if the income declaration that you are paying support based upon is not true anymore, and you are the payer, you know, communication number one mm-hmm. is the first thing. Communication. Communicate with your, with your ex or soon to be ex, not not first with your attorney, not first with but with directly to the person that that this transaction is with. Absolutely. Exactly. And, you know, again, this communication, even if you get your ex-spouse or soon to be ex to agree, that does not mean that it changes your agreement that you have, um, you know, codified in writing through the court system. But it just means that this is how we're going to survive for the next, you know, few months together until we can find a place where we can, uh, you know, sort of catch up on, on what's gone on in the past. But, um, you know, sitting down with them as soon as possible. You know, it's funny, Kate, if you think about all the times in your life when you've been angry, when something has made you angry, mm-hmm. it really is only because the thing that you thought was going to happen is not the thing that happened. Yeah. That's really the definition of anger. So if you're worried about your soon-to-be ex becoming angry because they're not going to be receiving that support, you know, if, if you communicate you're really going to keep them from getting to that place. And they're going to understand that we're in an unprecedented time. And they're feeling a lot of stress and strain as well. So just sitting down and um, making the kids your focus if, mm-hmm. if you've got children. Um, number one, taking care of their needs and discussing with your ex how you're going to do that together. Um, yeah. And I would... And- I would just, just to, to sort of interject here about like how to do that communication, right? Cause that's my, mm-hmm. that's my wheelhouse. Right. And so, yes. you know, if, first of all, if your spouse or ex-spouse comes to you and says like, I need to talk about this, this is like, you know, um, while it may be scary, right. It, if you can sort of be as open and generous as possible, right. Because we're all suffering together, right? And what they tell you may be really terrifying because you may rely on this as income, obviously, right? Many of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you're sort of just to, to sort of hear that and hold it with a generous spirit. And similarly, if you're delivering this information, be empathic to how it's going to land, right? To the, the sort of panic and terror that you may be um, sort of sparking in someone else. And so, you know, I, I know that when people, often when people are concerned for how something is may land for another person, they sort of become preemptively um, defensive. Yes. Or sort of, you know, it doesn't have to be that way, right? You can mm-hmm. say like, listen, um, you know, I need, to, I need to talk to you about something. This is, this is really hard. It is hard for me to come to you about this and it's going to affect all of us. And how can we as a team figure out how we're going to get through this together because you are a team, you are a family. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it that way, you're more likely if you, if you're, if you engage your ex in a partnership about how to handle this, as opposed to, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. I don't have it. You know, you say that you're like, I don't tell you lady, sorry. I don't, you know, or dude, like I don't have it. So, you know, what the fuck are you going to do? You can try and get, you know, you can't get water from blood from a stone. Right. Like, Mm-hmm. that's not, uh, that, that doesn't create an environment of generosity. And that in this, right. has to be a, this has to be generosity and empathy, both in both directions. Absolutely. And that, that's such a great point, Kate, because, you know, whenever you are asking for something from somebody, which in this case, you're going to ask somebody to take less money than they're used to, 
or you know you're going to ask somebody to please keep paying um, you know at least a certain amount so that you can get by and being able to come to that discussion with an, an you know empathetic heart and uh, and a, a spirit of compromise is going to get you so much further than you know, putting up the defense and, and going on the attack when you feel yep. like you're not getting your way. And, you know, again, just because you agree now to something temporary does not mean that you are not going to be able to retrieve the rest of, of what you should have had during these months if you're the one receiving. Um, but giving your ex-spouse some time to get back up on his or her feet, um, you know, they may have gone through a job loss, there may be something else. And, and likewise, if if you're the one that's paying and you think that this is not temporary and that your job won't stabilize, well, when you do ultimately have your modification heard by the courts, it will be made retroactive to the time that that change occurred. You know, so just, again, everybody hang in there together and, um, and, and try to get through this period of time until we can get the, uh, you know, the legal professionals to sort it out ultimately in the end. So that's number one. And in that same vein, you know, Preparing for a drop in income, whether whether you are uh, whether you're the payer or the payee, preparing for a drop in income. Take a look at your monthly bills. How many of them are fixed, and how many could you eliminate if you had to? How much is debt repayment, and how much is discretionary spending? If you can answer these questions, it will determine how difficult or easy it might be to cut back on some living expenses if you're facing a drop in income. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a great time to revisit that budget knowing what your debt obligations are and how to contact your lenders to discuss various relief options, such as a refinance or forbearance on a loan, a credit line, et cetera. We'll get into all of that, of course, but that's very important. And, and, you know, and again, if your job is cyclical in nature, then uh, make sure your resume is up to date and make sure you're still actively networking through social media or other means. Um, you'll want to be prepared to hit the ground running if, uh, if you're getting laid off and um, creating that game plan now will ease some of the anxiety as well going forward. So just make yeah. a list of the things that are in your control and what you can do and just focus on those every single day. Yeah. Such great advice. Really such great advice. You know, and I, you know, I also want to, you know, while this may be like super inconvenient and super scary and all those things, you, at the end of the day, what you really want to keep remember is like, if the money doesn't exist, you're not going to get it. <laughs> right? Like, That's right. I mean, what you said a moment ago, you can't suck blood from a stone. That's so great. Right. Absolutely. Like, you know, if, if it's not there, like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry that this was the promise. But like, yeah, exactly. You know, like, we are all, we're all struggling right now. So anyway, I mean, I just, you know, but, and I, and I love that, you know, redoing a budget, like really rethinking, like how mm-hmm. can you how, refinancing, like oh, there's going to be, you're going to, be dealing with some really complicated uh, mm-hmm. reorganizing, which is hard and scary, but will might also help you out in that process, like you said. Absolutely. You know, it's funny, you know, Kate, I, I've been hearing this phrase a lot lately. I'm sure you've heard it a little bit too. We're all in the same boat, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it's been floating around on social media and other means too. Someone had a really interesting perspective on, on this. You know, we're we're not really in the same boat. We're in the same storm, but we're all in very different boats. Thank you. I'm very glad. You know, you said that. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. So as we all weather this, the same storm here, some of us are in super strong naval quality vessels ready to you know, wage war on this uh, coronavirus pandemic and making that bumpy ride feel pretty darn smooth. And others are in rickety dinghies that are taking on water and 
are going to be left extremely vulnerable to the effects of this devastating storm that we're in, which is the pandemic. Right. And, you know, I'd say that the, uh, you know, the whole of your boat really is your debt load. Mm. In my opinion, your, your, your debt load is going to quickly allow your boat to float or sink before anything else, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I, I thought it was so important for us to address this today and, and, and talk about it a little bit. So what if someone's carrying like a ton of debt, right? Like, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they, they've been managing, right? They've been making payments. They've been mm-hmm. maybe, you know, paying the minimum, but like they're, they've been managing it. Yep. And now they're in a position where like kind of the only way they can get by is to actually like incur, possibly incur more debt. Yep. That that's true. And so that, that can, that can be the case. And, you know, and first of all, again, as it relates to your pending divorce, you want to be keeping a uh, deadline separate if you possibly can. Okay. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. Um, but you know, if you do need to take on more debt because you don't have the cash flow coming in, um, Credit cards are probably your last option. It's the easiest and probably the one we reach for the, the fastest because it's right. just right there in our wallet. But, you know, looking at a line of credit potentially, or if you can refinance a mortgage and take a little cash out, um, that's a great idea also. But that can be a little bit trickier given that income levels have dropped. It may be a little harder to qualify right now for right. that. So right. a credit line, like a home equity line of credit, or if you do have an investment portfolio, um, interest rates are very, very low right now. So you can take a variable interest uh, you know, loan against a portfolio for um, an interest rate that's very, very low. I mean, we're talking somewhere in the 1% to 4% range and somewhere in there. Um, so very, very low. And that'll, that'll get you through. You know, managing debt can be a very tricky business um, you know, during this time. And so you should start making a list of your current debts. And it's, it's important to, to note which debts are personal and which debts are community. If you are going through a divorce, all of these debts need to be focused on. They need attention. And if you can make the minimum payments, you, you must continue to do so. But um, making sure that your debts are separate from your ex-spouse uh, is probably key at this point. Just so that. And so one- how do you sort of delineate that? Like, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, it, it isn't aren't isn't all debt community property at, at the end of the day when you're you know it's it, it it yes and no yes and no huh. debt incurred during the marriage is definitely community property but debt incurred post separation uh, your attorney may be able to do something for you on that if okay. uh, if your if your ex spouse is uh, racking up debt and you're separated then um, it's very very likely that that will be attributed to you know their side of the balance sheet when when everything shakes out. So that's why right now, if you let's say you have a home together and you both need a little bit of cash, or maybe just one of you needs a little cash, it's okay to borrow off that home equity line of credit when that uh, when those funds are wired into your personal bank account. Then there will be a paper trail showing who received that money, and so it'll be a little easier to to tell um, whose is is whose, but. You know, the, um, if you have debt currently, though, that you're working on tackling, you know, the amount of the debt is less important than the terms of the loan as you're making that list. Um, revolving high interest rate debt should be your first concern. That's the credit card stuff that we talked about. Right. And, um, and with, with revolving debt, you know, there's a difference between, you know, revolving and installment debt um, for anybody who might be confused about that. Yeah. Say, say what that is because I don't even know. What yeah. That is. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Revolving debt 
is, is where there's an established credit limit that you borrow against. So it's like mm-hmm. a credit card. Like credit card. And as long as you haven't hit that limit, you can keep borrowing. So, you know, credit cards require a monthly payment. And if you pay less than the full balance, you'll be charged interest. And interest rates on credit cards can be very, very high. As most of us know, the national average right now is over 16%, but it can be as high as into the 30s, you know, depending on your, your credit rating and your history and whatnot. So, Portion. Yeah, absolutely. It's terrible. So um, if you find yourself unable to make the monthly payments on your revolving debt, you know, the advice, it's, it's actually the same, whether it's installment or revolving, but call those credit card companies now. Um, almost everybody, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, whoever your credit card is with, almost all of them have some kind of structure that they are offering to their clients uh, during this time, either a reduced minimum payment or a lower interest rate for a period of time. Any kind of deferral would be helpful right now. So most of them are offering that. So it's a good time just to take a quick look, see what you have, give your lender a call and find out what options are if, if, if you're feeling a little squeezed. Um, installment debt, I'll just define that quickly. Yes, please do. That installment debt is, is basically where you um, borrow a fixed amount in one lump sum. So unlike a credit card, you cannot keep borrowing as you pay off your balance. An installment loan has a predetermined end date. So it's like a mortgage. Mm-hmm. You, know, you take a certain amount, Got it. you have to pay back a, a certain amount each month. And then there's a, a, a finite end date in mind. So, you know, mortgages, auto loans, student debt, things like that are all examples of installment debt. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's, that's helpful. All right. Mm-hmm. Just talk to me about refinancing. Let's like, if somebody's in a situation where, cause you know, we talk about refinancing all the time, like, Oh, you know, we're, we're struggling. We should refinance. Like, should we, like, is that like, what are the, what are the, what are the pluses and minuses? What are the, yeah drawbacks of refinancing, if that's an option, right? If that's an option. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in terms of refinancing right now, there's no real drawback because in almost every case, your interest rate's probably going to be lower when you refinance today than it was when you took that loan because we're at historic lows. However, it can be tough to refinance. And of course, you, you may not want to have a new product and refinancing to a new product might actually be more expensive for you. So, you know, though that could be a drawback, but you what know, does that mean, new product? Oh, so mortgages come in many different shapes and sizes. So we have mortgages that are, uh, are variable rates. You can have a, a see, three, so like, a like an arm. Mm-hmm. Yep, everyone's heard of, of an arm. And an arm stands for adjustable rate mortgage. And so arms come in three years, five years, seven years, 10. Then we have 15-year you know, fixed rates, 30-year fixed, all of that. Um, if you have a variable rate loan that's coming due soon, you really do want to refinance. Um, so if you've got like a, if you took a, you know, a five-year loan back in, let's say, you know, 2015, 2016, it's time to start looking at refinancing because that interest rate's going to reset. And, um, and oftentimes, even though rates have fallen, the rate it's going to reset at could be higher than what you took it out at. So refinancing to a fixed product today could be a great idea for you because 30 year rates are at historic lows, but to refinance, you've got to have income, right? And you've got to have assets, right? You know? And so if, if, uh, if that's not something that you think you could do, then another option on your mortgage would be forbearance. 
And I think a lot of people have heard this word forbearance, but don't really know what it means. I think most of us know what foreclosure means, yes, but not forbearance. And those two things are extremely different. So forbearance is when your mortgage servicer, which is the company that sends your mortgage statement and manages your loan or lender, allow you to pause or reduce your payments for a limited period of time. Oh, interesting. Okay. okay. So yeah. Forbearance has been a, a popular tactic in the last couple of months. So a lot of banks, you know, are working with people to, to get this done. So it is not a shameful thing to call your bank and discuss a forbearance. You know, I want to really make sure everyone feels confident and comfortable when they're doing this. You are not alone. There are a lot of people going through this with you right now. And so, um, you know, do not be concerned about judgment or how someone else may perceive you and, um, you know, everybody has been through some kind of financial difficulty in their lives. I don't care who you are. Everybody has. Um, the wealthiest people you know of, I mean, even uh, Elon Musk, I mean, how many times has he been on the edge of bankruptcy? <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he seems very successful and, and, and whatnot, and he is, but everybody yeah. has, has had a time when they've had a little bit of financial insecurity. So, you know, different lenders are offering different terms of forbearance. So just check with yours as soon as possible to find out what those terms are. So um, one example is if you've got a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or FHA, VA or USDA loan, it's okay if you don't know, you can call your lender and find out. It's okay. Um, but you won't have to pay back the amount that was suspended all at once unless you're able to. They're actually um, making a lot of concessions to their clients. There's a lot that yeah. can, can go on there. Private lenders have some different rules, but you know, keep in mind that it's in your lender's best interest to work with you as well. Lenders are not in the business of foreclosing on homes and taking real estate onto their balance sheet. That is yeah, and not they, what they want. And I want to sort of interject here that, you know, a lot of what we're talking about here, a lot of these rules and, and laws and, you know, financial sort of, um, uh, things really changed a lot after 2008 because, mm -hmm. you know, before 2008, um, and we were one of them, my, you know, we were getting, you know, no interest loans or, you know, variable, right? So yeah. it was, mm -hmm. they were selling you loans, zero down payment, no interest for, mm -hmm. you know, the first five years of your loan or whatever. Um, and, you know, sort of tactics that like, what, like department stores use. Yeah. Um, you know, the banks were using and then they had to foreclose, you know, this is the house, this was the bubble, this was the burst of the bubble in the housing crisis, where all of a sudden, people couldn't pay when when your interest rate were, jumped from zero to, you know, 15% or whatever it was. Yep. You know, people couldn't pay their mortgages. And, right. you know, so these concessions, I think, are, you know, as a result of we've been through this wave once before, and now we have different ways of dealing with it. We have not created, you know, this wave was not created by corporate greed. Um, right. Although, although that's debatable probably in some Well, ways. yeah, you know, that, that always seems to come into the equation somewhere. <laughs> it's not, right. It's always, it's always in there somewhere, right? We didn't, we didn't handle it. We're not handling it well because of the corporate greed, mm -hmm. but you know, right. this is, this was, but we have now, um, structures in place that we never had before, um, yep. to be able to manage these sorts of crises. So I think it's important for us to know that like you, like you said, there's no shame at this point. No. We've been through this no. before as a nation and, you know, nationally we have, uh, we are dealing with this. You know, the one thing that we kind of haven't 
dealt with um, because it, it wasn't a pl- it wasn't necessarily applicable in 2008 or at, in the in the aftermath um, was rent. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know if if a lot of the rent um, protections are national or are they just state by state? That's a really good question, actually. And, you know, right now it is state by state. You know, there's not much in, in, of a federal mandate. Each state is kind of d- determining what they're going to do. Um, there is an eviction moratorium right now, um, as I think most people know, and that does vary state by state and even county by county. Um, different counties are offering different, uh, you know, different timeframes. Um, here in California, uh, the, the moratorium is out until I believe July. You simply right. cannot evict someone for the non-payment of rent. Now you can still evict them for other misbehaviors. Okay. So, you know, and, and if, if you are a renter here in California, please continue to pay your rent if you can, you know, it's because if, if you don't pay your rent, then you are putting your landlord in a position where they may not be able to pay their mortgage. And this is how the flow of money comes around to all of us. If the mortgage doesn't get paid, the bank now does not have liquidity to extend uh, for loans to other people who need loans, maybe small businesses who are trying to uh, keep employees employed, things like that. So we all have to do our part. If you can continue to pay your rent, please do. But if you, if you can't, then I think the communication factor comes in again in a similar manner to how you'd communicate with your soon to be ex. And, you know, Kate, you gave some great points there on how to communicate with others and really get a favorable response and have everybody at the end wind up being maybe 80% happy, not a hundred percent, but get to a place where we can all live with it at least until we can get a more permanent resolve in, in place. And it's important to to note too that you know just because there's a moratorium on evictions, it, that's not a moratorium on your rent. And correct, whatever rent you don't pay, you are required to pay back. So if you don't pay rent for two months, when you when you get a paycheck, you're going to have to pay back rent. And sure, you're going to be able to you know work out something with your landlords, hopefully a payment plan. But you're gonna what that essentially shakes out to is you're going to have to pay more in rent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we want to, we want to avoid that if at all, if at all possible. And with the knowledge that if you need it, it's there. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's important to note also that, you know, as this situation is, is evolving, you know, day by day, the date of of our conversation, you know, today, Kate, which is the 20, (laughs) it's the 21st of May that we're having Mm -hmm. this discussion. So all of this is the case today, you know, things could change. Lenders could suddenly change their terms for forbearance, you know, um, credit card companies could suddenly change the way they're doing things. Um, We don't have any indication of that yet, but that always could happen. So again, no time like the present to really get your arms around your situation and start to deal with it because it is, it is not your fault at all that you find yourself in the situation, but you do have a lot of responsibility toward yourself and your children and, and your ex, you know, if they're dependent on you to uh, do everything you can today to make sure that your boat is still floating um, as, as we go through this pandemic. So there's a lot you can do today. So just focus on what you can do and, and do not feel guilty, ashamed, or embarrassed about the things that have happened to you as a result of this, uh, this wild time. Yeah. You know? And I, I want to know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these programs are, you know, they do specify sort of in the, in the small print, like, you know, if they're, if you're having, if you're having trouble 
you know, as a result of coronavirus, mm-hmm. right? So yep. people who are people who are just having trouble or haven't been employed for six months or sure. like other than that, like, are they able to take advantage of these uh, programs and very possibly, because here's the thing, Kate, if you, if you're unemployed and you've been looking for work for, let's say, you know, a year, you know, I mean, let's go way back before the coronavirus. Well, this pandemic is certainly, um, hampering your ability today. Certainly. That's true. So, right. You're not, it's not like you're going to get it, it like, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, if, if you've been looking for a job or if you um, even had a job lined up, a lot of employers are actually rescinding offers right now because they're worried about their own future and their ability to pay. So, you know, here's the, here's the key though. You'll never know if you don't ask. So a lot of times here, they're going to want to see a direct relation to your circumstance and the coronavirus pandemic, but the tendrils of this pandemic are reaching around absolutely every portion of our lives. So in terms of what you need to provide, in terms of proof, I think that there's a, quite a bit that you can provide. You know, even yeah. if um, even if you can't tie it directly back, um, there's probably a series of events that ultimately lead back to this pandemic. And certainly, if you are relying on uh, spousal support or, or child support, and your spouse has a uh, COVID nineteen related uh, crisis with his or her work. Um, you can show the courts that you can show, or you can show the um, the lenders that you can show them bank statements of uh, alimony and child support that is not coming in. And um, th- there's a lot that you can do. And and speaking to your lender and finding out exactly what that proof is, exactly what they're looking for, is is key. Getting educated right now so that when you do find yourself in a uh, I guess crisis situation, you know maybe uh, maybe your alimony is still coming in now, but in a month it won't be. So. Um, you know, just thinking ahead and thinking about where you're vulnerable and, and trying to get your arms around that now and, and come up with a game plan for, for moving forward. We should probably talk a little bit about auto loans and student loans here too, because sure. I know that okay. that's a really big, a, a big thing for people. Just, just one more, uh, you know, piece of debt that it's coming in every Another single month. And- fucking bill. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly, you just summed it up beautifully. You summed it up. The bills don't stop. And, you know, and, and auto loans and, uh, and student loans, that's the installment kind of debt, you know, where we have monthly payments that we have to make and whatnot. Um, but, you know, if you have a lease right now, um, you may want to talk to your, uh, your dealership and find out exactly what uh, options are for, um, for either getting out of your lease or renewing your lease. Um, a lot of people that have leases coming up, they can extend by six months for a, a pretty reasonable fee because a lot of, um, of you know, de- or, uh, dealerships, they know that people are not coming in to test drive cars right now. So if you're right. concerned about your lease coming up, just call the dealership. But many auto lenders are offering various kinds of, of relief. And so if you have a traditional auto loan, you know, reach out to the lender. A lot of them are creating programs to help customers by delaying payments until the worst of this uh, pandemic is, is behind us. Um, nearly every automaker plus the banks and credit unions are allowing customers to defer payments with no late fees. Mm. Um, most will not report any negative information to credit bureaus during this time either. So oh, that's um, really, so, that's an important point. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's really important because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Good. And one more thing, if you've got a warranty on your vehicle that let's say it expires in July or August and you've got some work on the car that needs to be done, 
Um, many car dealerships and manufacturers are extending those warranties for their clients to give them more time to get in and get those costly, you know, repairs done. Um, although they wouldn't cost you under the warranty, of course, but you know, there may not be enough uh, technicians to service all the vehicles. So, so inquire about, uh, whether or not your warranty is being extended also, if you've got something with your car that needs to be looked at. Okay. And, and that should, we should clarify that that's not like one of those extended warranties that they try to sell you when they sell you your car. Correct. It's Correct. Like, it's, and it's, a, it's an extension of the actual one. Of the current one. The, the, the one you either already paid for or came with your new vehicle. Exactly. So, you know, call them and just find out. And, and even if, um, if, if your dealership is not really offering that, just ask. It's amazing what you might get if you just ask you know, just ask for an additional three months because of what's going on and let them know that you're not driving the car because you're not going into work. And so it's just, you know, it's really just sitting there and it's, uh, um, you know, nothing's changing on it, but you need three more months. They, they may give it to you. That's great. So that's a, that's you'll great. never know if you don't ask. Right. But, right. um, you know, so what about student loans? Were you about yep. them? Yeah. Student loans are weighing heavily on everyone's minds and, and it has been for you know quite a while. This has been a popular oh. topic especially as we are moving toward a presidential election at the end of this year and um, the campaigning. Are we? I hadn't heard about that. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Kate, um, this quarantine is just not, it's it's not been good for the information sharing. I get at least accurate, (laughs) accurate information sharing. There's been a lot of fake news, but, um, but yes, you know, and and the the campaigning this year, of course, has been, um, it's been the, uh, the the Democrats that have been campaigning this year. So we've gotten to see a lot of different ideas and things like that coming from our, our democratic candidates this year, which was really, really nice. And student loans was, was really at the top of everybody's list in terms of what to talk about and how they want to help. Um, you know, people and, you know, in student loans, again, if you're going through a divorce right now, you may want to inquire to your attorney um, about your ex-spouse's student loans if, if they were for education that, uh, that they received. Um, whether or not this is community, it, it can be a, a confusing process to find out if, it, if this is community debt or not, depending on when exactly the debt was incurred. And, you know, if, if your ex-spouse, let's say, has debt from a law degree that you've been benefiting from for the last 10 years that comes into play as well. So, mm-hmm. so make sure you check with your attorney on you know, what exactly you're responsible for in terms of your ex's student loans. But what about if you, what about if you supported the, uh, you know, your spouse as they went through school, right? Yep. Like yep. They take those kinds of things into consideration, like they do. Okay. Yeah. They do. Yeah. yeah. They, they do take those things in, into consideration. So, you know, um, again, when, when it comes to your divorce, absolutely everything is in play. That's why documentation is so important. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you, if you're in the middle of the divorce, you know, you, it's still unclear um, who's going to be taking what debt, what assets, all of that. So you may want to just check in with your attorney, but at the same time, again, we definitely don't want these debts going unpaid. So we don't want to find out later what the consequences are of the unpaid debt. So, you know, let's just try to be making our installment payments and our minimums as best we can. Yes. Um, and you don't want to assume that like, well, that was his debt. So I'm not going to make payments on it. And then find, come to find out six months down the road that your credit was affected by that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And further, you know, if you're making payments on, let's say his student debt and it, shakes out in the end of that that's not actually your debt, then if you can document that and show your attorney where you were making those payments, that could be settled upon in the final decree. You know, it could be that, you know, those debts suddenly um, wind up on his side of the balance sheet and you wind up getting a little bit more of the estate um, because you made those debt payments. 
Again, no promises there. It varies state by state. Your attorney is the only one that's going to really be able to counsel you there. But, um, but just keep that in mind if it's really causing you a lot of uh, nausea to pay what you consider to be someone else's debt. Um, <laughs> so just again, document everything and, uh, and talk to your attorney. But having debts go unpaid and finding out later who's responsible, not usually the best plan. Okay. I think I mean, it's so smart and it's so, it's so true and it's so important. And I also want to say, you know, it's brought something to mind, which, which I actually have been not guilty because it's not, it's not nothing to feel guilty about, but it's something that I've done over the past with my ex where, where I'll just be like, Oh, let's take, for example, um, my son's orthodontist, right. Uh-huh. And we're splitting yeah. the cost of his orthodontist. And so I was, I said, why don't you just pay the bill and then just take out my half from my support payment every month, okay. which, you know, totally fine. Right. But, but what that, what that, what I realized is that I don't have documentation. Correct. I was going to say the orthodontist. Correct. What Correct. I have is that I received less support, Correct. but I have no documentation that yep. I paid the orthodontist. Correct. And yep. when I was doing my taxes this year, I realized I was like, oh shit, look at that. And I, you know, I'm claiming it and I'm hoping yep. I don't ask to be audited. <laughs> you know, yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's that that's how you document, right? You don't you don't mm-hmm. just subtract from here, subtract from there, or just like, you know, yep. you gotta write you want to write the check yourself to the place that the check is going. Correct. Yep. And, and you brought up something that's really important, by the way, and something that is, is very confusing to a lot of spouses that are, you know, post-divorce, uh, settled into their alimony and child support routine. Um, the fact that you paid the orthodontist bill, or I'm sorry, that your, 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 husband, your ex-husband did, and then um, he gave you less support as a result. If you don't have an email where he is saying, by the way, the reason why the support is less is because I paid this orthodontist bill. You actually later on, Kate, could go back and say, that was never our agreement. Even though he's got the bill that he paid, I never agreed that he could take that out of my support, you know? And so you actually would have possibly a case against him for not paying his full alimony. So especially if you're the payer and you're going to pay a bill and deduct it from support. Not a smart idea, right? Yeah, you, you've yeah, got to I mean- have agreement in writing from the parties that you can show later on because, um, you know, the courts... Uh, have not agreed that you can just, uh, you know, fudge around on bills and then change the alimony to, to match that. Um, it should be a rare thing where this happens, you know, but it, it always must be in an email that the bill that I paid was meant to represent partial support during the month of June or whatever it was. Yeah. So ours was like, it was like two years, right? I mean, that was like, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, obviously my ex and I, like, that's not an issue. I would never mm-hmm. do that. I would never do a bait and switch on him like that. That's shitty. Right. And, and you're, you're in a good place. You're right. And you too, um, Absolutely. you know, I, I admire the way you two have worked through a lot of your issues financially. You're just a great example to the, to the rest of us here. Um, that's terrific. And it's one of those things where it's not a problem until it's a problem kind of a thing. So, you know, so it may be yeah. if, um, you know, if, if you're not in a great place with your ex or you think that there could be choppy waters ahead, you know, just whatever that may mean, it's just good to have it in writing. It's a hundred percent. You're so right. Yep. <laughs> you're so right. Yep, absolutely. So, but, but student, student loans, just to tie the, tie a bow around that really quick, you know, um, there's a lot going on right now with student loans that, that could be an advantage. Um, 
you know, uh, the federal student loan debt payments right now, they're suspended until September 30th. Okay. And that's a federal thing, not a state thing. Okay. So whatever state you're in, that's the case suspended until September 30th without accruing interest and penalties. So this policy does not apply to private student loans. Okay. I've got to be real clear about that. If you got a loan from a private lender, this is not the case. Okay. Uh, yeah. So please, please call that private lender. But, um, you know, various things that, that lenders are doing, um, you can get a new repayment plan. There are income driven repayment uh, plans right now at a, at a portion of your discretionary income where, um, where you show them what your income is and then they will cap it at 10 to 20% of your income and call that your payment, at least for the time being. So um, if, if you were making, you know, if you were making 80 grand a year and now you're making 60, for example, you can go in and explain that to them and try to get uh, one of these income-driven repayment caps in place. Lenders have been, have been doing that. If it's a federal loan, in some cases, they may forgive the balance after 20 to 25 years of on-time payments under this income-driven repayment plan. So that could be worth it. You know, and, and the reason, again, Kate, why I brought up the, um, the election with, um, with uh, all the different ideas on student loans is that um, I've been hearing from a few of, of my clients and, and a lot of their kids, actually, can I just stop paying on my student loan? Because what if one of the uh, candidates that's talking about forgiving the loans or totally restructuring gets in? I don't want to you know, be wasting good money today on those loans when I, I could have them forgiven or partially forgiven by next year if someone else gets into the White House. You know, I, I can't stress enough uh, that that's just not the way. You know, you know I abide I, by the current law until yeah, you law. <laughs> correct, correct. Because yeah. getting behind on these payments, you, even if even if we did have um, you know a new regime next year and, and new laws uh, surrounding student debt, let's not call it a regime. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> this one we can call a regime. <laughs> regime. Yeah, we, you know when 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 we when we get a new sheriff in the station, how about that? New sheriff. When we you know, get an action um, president. How about exactly. That? When we have a, a new functioning, well, a, any functioning adult, any functioning as they adult, say, right. coming in, you know, um, you know, we we don't know what what's going to change, and and I must say it's possible they wouldn't look very favorably upon the, on the ones that did not keep current, you know, and they right. may not um, have as, um, you know, as attractive of a resolution for those, uh, you know, debts as they might for people who, who continued to meet their obligation. So um, right. like, try don't, hard not. Don't consider it like a sweeping thing that they're not going to actually like take a look at individual uh, case history. Right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. You know, it's just, um, you know, um, good behavior is just always a, um, you know, you know, a good idea. So, so please, uh, you know, keep making those payments, but, but you can also request a forbearance on student loans as well, you know, cause again, this is about what to do if you're finding yourself with no other option and, and, and debt is, is kind of swallowing you up during this, this crazy time. So, um, this is immediate and temporary relief, a forbearance. And, um, while the payments are paused on the federal debt, interest does not accrue. Um, check with your private lender and see what their terms of forbearance are. But a lot of private lenders are getting in on the action as well and trying to provide a solution, um, you know, for their um, for their borrowers. Deferment is is yet another option. So if you lost your job or had your hours cut back. Um, you may qualify for an unemployment deferment or economic hardship deferment. Hmm. Um, federally, you can defer for up to 36 months if you qualify. That's three oh. years. Wow. Buy yourself three years to get back on track. And, um, and you know, again, the, um, the private lenders, um, they're all doing what they can as well. They want to work with people. They, they want to make sure that you are 
staying solvent and, and uh, able to meet your, your debt obligations. So they're offering some things too. And if your school debt is just totally unmanageable, even with all of these options, you can always look into refinancing. But um, unlike a mortgage where we are um, you know, refinancing a home, if you refinance student debt, all lenders are, are not created equal. Um, if you're refinancing from federal debt to a private lender, mm. do not be you know, enticed by their lower interest rate, okay? Because there are a lot of other things that go along with, um, with a private lender versus a federal. Um, you know, the interest rate might be lower, but the, uh, the new lender may not offer the same benefits. So um, you could lose the federal protections like the income-driven repayment plans, forgiveness programs, um, you know, the, the more attractive forbearance and deferment options. The, uh, the federal loans tend to be a lot more flexible than the private loans. So just be very careful if you're refinancing from federal to private. That's a good point. That's a really, that's a great point because you're such a wealth of information. It's crazy. You know, it's, <laughs> well, I mean, at, at this point, you know, we, um, we've, uh, we've seen just about everything when it comes to all of this. And, um, you know, uh, just because we are financial planners and, and manage, uh, you know, wealth for a lot of clients, um, that doesn't mean that these things don't pop up from time to time. And, um, you know, I think that managing debt is just as important as managing assets, you know, um, debt and interest rates and, uh, all of these things are a real threat to wealth and a threat to your um, your emergency fund and everything else. So that's why it it starts here, really. So yes. and I, you know, and I want to say right that like that doesn't mean like I don't want to stigmatize debt because right. most of us are in debt absolutely because capitalism. And the way that our, you know, the way that our system is structured, our financial system is structured, most of us, you know, not, maybe not most, but, you know, a huge portion of people do not make enough to, um, to survive. You know, the, the, if you, you know, the federal minimum wage is not enough for to live like period, Mm -hmm. end of discussion. So so it's either, it's either second, third jobs you know, and mm-hmm. or debt. Yep. So that is, you know, it is unfortunately um, a reality for so many Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for people who are listening in other countries, I have a lot of listeners in the UK and Australia who are like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. we know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Right. So, yep. um, and if we're drowning, it's, you know, that, that, that's the design and it's, and it's awful and it's awful and it's so stressful. And, you know, so mm-hmm. these are some ways that, you know, we're talking about that can alleviate that. I just, you know, I just want to point out that like, you know, we're almost all of us are in debt in some, in some. Absolutely. Way. And debt is not bad. You know, yeah. debt is not a bad, it's, it's a four letter word, but it's not one of those four letter words. You know, it's debt is not a bad thing. Debt is a great way for us to, you know, structure purchases and things like that. Um, what's, what is not good is being in debt to the point where you don't really have a repayment plan. Right. Um, if, if you don't really have a manageable way to uh, continue to service the debt, and what do I mean by servicing the debt? Just to make the monthly payment or to get it paid off in a timely fashion. You should never take out debt on a credit card or a revolving structure, for example, and just plan to make the minimum payments. That's not a good plan. Um, and now they're, they're, they are federally mandated to put how long, like if, you know, if you look at your statement on the front page of your statement, 
now law that mm-hmm. they have to tell you how long it will take you to pay off your debt if you only pay the minimum. That's true. And, and that's such a great thing because I think that a lot of people just don't really understand how that works. They think, well, yeah. th- if I pay the minimum payment, you know, how long could it possibly be before I finally, if they're willing to accept this as the minimum yeah. payment, then they're not going to wait 36 years for me to pay this back. But yes, the truth they will is- because they're getting, you know, at, at, at 26% interest, they're more than happy for it to take. Absolutely. They are more than happy. Absolutely. And, you know, um, a quick word too about zero interest credit cards. Um, it's okay to move high interest debt to a zero interest credit card, but make sure you understand the terms because if it's like a no interest for 12 months, for example, and you miss one of the monthly minimum payments, then they actually will charge a very high rate of interest back from day one, okay, of the loan. So back from day one, they can do that. So make sure that you really read those terms and understand because, um, you know, it's a great thing to do. Go to zero interest if, if, if you can only make the minimum payment right now. But if you can't make the minimum payment even, then this is, this is going to be no good for you because it's, it's probably going to be even a higher rate of interest than um, under the new credit card um, if you mm-hmm. miss one of the payments. Mm-hmm. So, Yes. Um, what do you think of debt consolidation? Debt consolidation is, is a great thing. Um, if, if you can refinance to a lower rate and with terms that you can live with, it's a great thing. But again, a cautionary note. Um, when you do the, the consolidation, make sure you understand what assets are collateralizing that debt. You know, you wouldn't necessarily want to, um, you know, ch- change if, if your home is being collateralized by a loan. You don't necessarily want to take credit card debt and now move that onto the home, you know, for example. Okay. You know, um, so, um, you know, credit card debt is, is, um, is a different kind of debt. Um, a home loan, same thing. Um, but talking to a specialist and explaining your situation and seeing what uh, what they have to offer is always a great idea. Consolidating revolving debt onto a zero interest credit card that is also revolving um, and is not attached to any of your assets, that's just fine. Um, taking out a line of credit you know, and paying off higher interest rate debt, that's also a, a good idea so long as you have the repayment plan, you know, again, um, if you are a homeowner and you're drowning in credit card debt, you know, filing for bankruptcy won't be a great option for you because you'd lose the home. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, just be careful what assets are collateralizing what debt as you're thinking through your restructure. Awesome. Well, this is something that we've, I've never heard of before and that now suddenly I'm hearing about. Uh, what is negative? What are negative interest rates? Mm-hmm. Good question. So just yeah. quickly, if we can, because I know absolutely, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it quick for you here, okay. Kate. But that's a great question because it's it's been the it's been on 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 everyone's minds because we're hearing that on the news a lot too. So negative interest rates are a very seldom imposed, very drastic measure that central banks take um, when they fear that the economy could be slipping into a deflationary spiral in which spending is halted, prices drop, we see no corporate profits and no economic growth. Um, People so, like, in, so like now, <laughs> so kind of like now. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly the time. Yeah, um, people and businesses tend to hold on to their cash while they wait for the economy to, you know, improve. Um, that's no shocker either. But this behavior can weaken the economy even further, and as a lack of spending, cause even further job losses, further lower profits, and prices dropping even further. Um, you know, and all of this reinforces fear, giving consumers even more incentive to hoard, which continues the vicious cycle. Right. So. Um, you know, so the cycle goes on and on here and it 
kind of creates a hamster wheel of decline that's difficult to reverse. So imposing a negative interest rate is one way that the central bank can try to reverse that trend. It really hasn't happened here in the United States, although T-bill rates did go negative in late March briefly. They quickly reversed and are positive again. Um, but several European countries and Japan have used this tool, even though it's rather unconventional, um, against their harsh economic times in the last 12 years. So your uh, listeners in the UK, they're probably a little more familiar with this than our, our US listeners. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, um, negative interest rates does not mean suddenly that you get to be paid for borrowing, okay? That is not what it means. And so in this, in this debt discussion, if, if you were uh, hopefully thinking that now you could take on debt and actually be paid to do so, you know, I was, wrong. I was really getting um, excited about that. <laughs> I, I, I know, exactly. Because there's still other types of risk that lenders will tack um, onto that interest rate for, you know, credit risk being the main one. We're all human beings. We're credit risks. You know, we are not the central bank. We are not um, another country with a, you know, very strong, solid, sovereign government that, uh, you know, can be borrowed from. So interest rates are extremely low for us right now, given that negative interest rates um, have, have been a threat and that we're hovering around zero, you know, here, um, you know, interest rates on a mortgage, for example, a 30 year fixed are at 3.125, 3.25 right in there. If you have good credit, I mean, that is just unbelievably low. So, um, so that's really how it applies to us as individuals, Kate. But um, in terms of your credit card interest and whatnot, very little has changed there. That is the highest credit risk debt interest rate that you're going to see. So um, if you're an investor, um, the interest that you're being paid right now for, um, for buying bond instruments or buying you know, uh, fixed income, it's going to be less than, his, than historically has been the case. But, uh, but no one's going to pay you to take on debt, unfortunately. Bummer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so there you have it. Oh my God, Kimberly, so much, such a wealth of information. You're like a, you're just like this font of, of mm. incredible information. Thank you so much. Uh, okay. For- thank you. And, uh, and what you do for, uh, for all your listeners and, uh, you know, every single day, there's so many emotional things that, uh, that we're going through as we navigate divorces. And I just love the resources that you're bringing out to this community. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. And I appreciate you being one of those resources. So um, where can listeners find you if they want to get in touch or if they go to my firm's website, coastalbridgeadvisors.com, click on the meet your team link. Um, my bio is there. All my contact information is there. Um, I welcome any questions and happy to chat with anybody that has, has anxiety around their debt load or anything else financial if they just want a second opinion on. Awesome. That's so great. Thank you so much. So great to talk to you as always. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.